Hi, everyone. <laughs> How are you? Uh, good. We are just talking about uh, after a year of flailing around, we're still struggling to to get up and running with streams. But uh, Dave, I'm great. How are you? Yeah, no complaints at all. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. It's. Um, I, I feel like lately I've been enjoying my birthdays a lot more. Oh, yeah? Really just... More than what? Obviously in the past, but what have you been doing differently? Just really embracing it, taking a day off. Um, just really like, I think really nailing what exactly you want to do is challenging for me. Okay, I really just want to go to this one place and eat this one thing. So let's just <laughs> yeah. do that. Do you, um, um, do you struggle like conceptualizing what it is you want to do or being selfish yeah. enough to just do that and not worry about anyone else? A bit of both. Uh, yeah. And like agony, I'm not good at decision making, the agony of choice. Yeah, you know, there's so many restaurants and so many bars that I would love to go to or would love to revisit uh, from any you know any price point in Melbourne. There's probably a dozen places I'd like to visit. So finding that one is so so challenging when it comes to it. Definitely. The fact the, I mean the fact that it's narrowed down to bars and restaurants though is already like a like a small siphoning of the vast majority of things that you could do. Yeah, on your birthday, you know, like, like at least there's a there's 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 a small understanding of what it is. Yeah, g- <laughs> generally it's art, art gallery or um, right. some sort of exhibition, and then yeah. food and wine or food and beer yeah. or food and cocktails. So, uh, I, I guess for purposes of illustrating, uh, my decisions were Superling, which is the uh, restaurant attached attached to the Lincoln Hotel, uh, which yeah. is closing down this weekend. So that was kind of a decision made for me of going, I really want to try that place. Sure. And that was, I'm really disappointed I only tried it now. What did you have? We had, so it's kind of Chinese inspired fusion stuff. So we had uh, wonton skin nachos that had like Mapo tofu as the meat, crispy wonton skins and like broccoli as a guacamole. It was Mm. really good. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense how I'm putting it together in my mind, but it sounds delicious, though. We, we saw it land on the table next to us, and we were like, well, that's what we're getting that. that. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Uh, they do a Mapo Tofu Jaffle. Um, they do fresh handmade noodles just with some – we did pepper chicken, so just nice and peppery chicken, just gorgeous noodles, uh, and just some fresh broccoli, like some steamed broccoli with a really nice sauce. Really fun. Anyway, no one can eat there unless you've got a booking between now and next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also we did Birdie for cocktails, Birdie, B-Y-R-D-I. Mm. And that, I've been there once before and going back, uh, reaffirmed that I want to go back numerous times. It's mm. so good. Uh, I've never been, I've really wanted to go. There's never been a place, there's no places that I've ever go to and go, I don't know what I'm drinking. Normally, I know enough to construct, okay, this drink is made from these ingredients. I couldn't tell you what was in what I drank. Uh, one of them had sake lees in it. Yeah. Uh, maybe there was sake involved. Maybe they used that for, I don't I don't know. Well, uh, sake lees have a huge secondary use in, in, in Japan. Oh, you probably know, but in Japanese cuisine, it's like, but they don't necessarily need to have any sake in it, but like their flavor is amazing. Yeah. So I don't know if they use, I mean, I, they can't imagine they use that for fermentation. That's yeah. But whatever they, uh, one of them had 
mango and citric lactic acid, so sour and mm. uh, but there was a mango ferment with added sourness and yeah, it's a, a lot of fun. Uh, if you if you ever really want a really good cocktail, and they're not like they're expensive, but comparative to most cocktail places in the city, you know, it's I think twenty six dollars for the the six sort of top end ones. And for what you're getting, like you're getting so much work, you're getting kind of months or a year worth of work mm-hmm. in your drink um, and then kind of assembled in front of you. It was, yeah, it's a real experience. Also, like if, you, if you're planning a, like a couple of cocktails or a night of cocktails, then you, I mean, it's going to be expensive. That's the, that's the, the nature of the beach, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I, I just love that concept that they have there. And like, I mean, Luke particularly when he told me about it, like just about, I think that's the point, Luke, is that they don't want you to know. It's it's uh, so many people order cocktails based on the spirits that are in them rather than the flavors in the drink. Mm. And they kind of wanted to just turn that on its head in terms of like, no, like in terms of how they name them and how they even talk about them. It's not, it's not meant to be a secret as such, but it's not meant to drive the decision. So the, you're, you're first as a customer to think about the flavors that you want rather than you know, pandering to your to, to, to your to your to your experience in the past, as it were. And it, it does drive people to be curious about it. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the the team there are so skilled and so knowledgeable that if if you have any questions, they're right there for you and they can probably tell cool. you, you know, the temperature it was fermented at and, and where the honey was you know, came from and all that. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And they're also, also playing around really with... changes the whole like decision matrix that you have when buying it if you like don't really know what's going on with the ingredients yeah mm. um they also kind of try doing a couple of kind of savory cocktails one has um caviar that i think is used in a distillation in some wow. way uh we didn't get that one i i really kind of regret not getting it it just seemed too ridiculous hype factor well yeah <laughs> i don't know i feel like distilled caviar isn't really a hype Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, but it's like it's like just like shaved truffles over something that yeah. doesn't need truffles. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and and like the garnish in that was is a little white chocolate boat that floats in there with more caviar and like fennel and charred wow. things. And um, but they also do a mushroom and apple one, which is yeah. siphoned at the table, uh, and so it comes out warm and it's you know the coffee siphon, so it's siphoned through dried mushrooms at the table, yeah. and then you you drink it warm. Uh, wow. So I might I. I'd love to go back. Uh, Topher, maybe Bernie's when you're in town. Also a place that, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, Bernie's also a place that's sort of the first of a few, I think, in Melbourne now that sort of shied away from that um, classic uh, cocktail bar uh, decor. Mm. It's kind of fun and bright and that, that, that sort of vibe, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's strange because it's in a shopping mall. It's in Melbourne Central. Um, so it's kind of you're looking out at you know a, a quite a busy part of Melbourne Central. Um, and then, yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't feel like you've, you know, stumbled into a hidden alleyway cocktail bar, like that kind of old, it's, it's open, it's friendly. Um, it's very pretentious. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) But don't don't you think the fact that it's in like a shopping center in that, like it, 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 it almost, like I, I've met their customers. I'm not going to say anything bad about them because I've never been. And I, that's, that's not not my main thing and I'm, I'm 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 not in the market of generally saying bad things about anyone but i i, I kind of i kind of love that aspect where it, it is in a shopping center because it almost pays itself out 
from the second you walk in. And in the same way that, that you, that you don't know what's in the drinks, you, you can't walk in with an expectation to that place because you get so jarred, like in the physical entrance, you know, as it were. Like, I, I love it. And I love the concept. When they opened, uh, they're not doing it at the moment. I, I'm assuming the plan is to go back to it, though. It's, it was open in the morning using, um, so that you could get porridge there using oats that were used in a fermentation. Um, mm. So, you know, a lot of the byproducts of the cocktails were then being used into the daytime menu. Love it. Uh, and they were getting coffee roasted, uh, Australian grown coffee roasted, especially for them. Um, really, yeah. So you're right in that sense. It is jarring and disjointing because it, it isn't pretentious in the sense of they just want to make really good stuff. Mm. And no matter how they get there, and I guess getting there that, that it involves small producers and, you know, doing it fun and doing it interesting. Um, yeah. So maybe pretentious is a. Nah, there's still that element of pretension. In, I guess in, it depends if you in consider the best way. a um, yeah, if you consider a caviar boat garnish pretentious, then okay, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and and but, but there's a lot of hand sell. Like there's a lot of education that has to happen with that because of the the stance they're taking. It's not just going. This is Campari and Prosecco. They've gone. We're not going to tell you what this is. There's bitter. Like we're not 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 going to tell you, but we're not going to let it be that easy for you. So there has to like. Ah, I don't know. Luke, firstly, happy birthday. Thank you, thank birthday. you. Sorry, just, we, I, can't, I can't continue any longer without saying that. We didn't even but, introduce but, you yet, so we're... Well, yeah, I just jumped in there because I want. I really wanted to go to Brady because I, I met Luke before they, the other Luke, Weary, um, before they opened. And then they opened and then it was like COVID and I never visited. I still haven't been, I haven't been to Melbourne in the longest time. I probably have never been there in my 12 years of living in Australia. But um so I've never been and I've really wanted to go this whole time. So now I'm just like jumping in because I just, I crop a lot of stuff, you know, on social media and you see and it looks amazing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just, like I said I, to you both, Dave and Luke, before jumping in this, just feels like we're chatting with mates about like new places and all well, places for me that are new. So Luke, happy birthday. Um, thank you. Firstly, and I'm, so, I'm sorry they jumped over that. But really, <laughs> yeah, it's such a fascinating place. And, and I like, I, you know, in what, what we do, you know, you could you could walk into our brewery, and I'm not trying to shift the. This isn't. I just I I I feel for them, right? Because it's we're not trying to be pretentious about what we do, but there is a little bit of explanation that's required in order to understand what it is that's in your glass. Like I I, I don't want to labor over that fact and tell you that you have to drink it this way or you have to know this process in order to uh, uh, to in order to like it. In fact, quite the opposite. Just, just drink it and make your own judgment. Oh, and if you would like to know, then, then, then here's the explanation. But you kind of have to be there from an educational aspect for the customer. I am um, at, at both sides, you know. Anyway, I guess the, the word pretentious is interesting because sometimes I use it almost like precocious, where you know, if, if you call a child precocious, it is, doesn't. It's not always negative, but it does have so many negative connotations. Mm. Um, you know, I. I think I love that pretentiousness because it, without it, we don't, you know, we don't have someone pushing. So maybe it isn't the wrong word. Maybe I'm just using it as an easy, easy way to dismiss thinking about it further. Ah, hmm. uh, God, we, I could talk about words like this all night. Um, let's do it. Well, firstly, um, uh, Dave, how are you going? And then we'll get to Topher. Oh. Mate, no complaints, living the good life. You know how it is. Um, 
yeah, I went to a wedding on the weekend. That took up half my weekend, so cool. And you're drinking a beer? Correct. Uh, I'm drinking um, our dollar bill um, patron beer that we yeah. uh, made with those guys, um, and it's tasting great. Yeah, tasting a little bit more acidic than when I had it. I think I might have had it when we first received them. So when was that, Luke? End of last year. December, January. Yeah. End of last year. Okay. Yeah. So another few months, and um, yeah, sort of developing in a nice little way. Enjoying it. Yeah, great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Really happy with it. Um, I think I've got a couple of bottles left for my own, and a couple of more bottles of people that have inquired about them, the ones we have left over. So um, yeah, shout out to Little Bill. Mm. Now we now's the time to welcome our guest, uh, dear friend, uh, <laughs> someone who who we always as witness every time we we catch up we end up just talking for hours about things unrelated to why we're catching up. Unrelated, yeah. But it's all related. Um, Topher Bame from Wildflower Brewing and Blending is that the right name? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the right name. Excellent. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, well, yeah. I guess we still don't have a brew house there, so I I always do. You know, between between mates, it's always like, well, when we get a brew house, then I think the full name will make sense to people. Or when, if we, I don't know, who knows. Um, but yeah, we 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 brew offsite, but we certainly blend onsite. But we use <laughs> we, that is the full name. Where for sure. where does brewing start and end? <sighs> Should we get into vagueness theory? Yeah, absolutely, Luke. Is... When it comes to terms, like. Like how many borderline cases are there of of uh, vagueness? I mean, of, of brewing, as it were. Um, no, I mean, I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think most people would agree that brewing is the is the mashing of barley and the boiling of of wort. I don't know. I think that's pretty pretty clear. But I I, I don't know. I think when we when we opened, it was there's a brewery in the states called Casey Brewing and Blending, and they weren't making their own wort on site, and I kind of just liked that characterization because it would be too weird to say wildfire brewery when we weren't making beer there but just brewing as it you know that made a little bit more sense mm. but yes that's that's the name um so <laughs> uh, sorry thank, hey thank, thank you so much for, for having me again i honestly think that the our carwin episode um however long ago that was just sitting out on the sidewalk drinking beer was one of my one of my favorite catch ups, recorded or unrecorded. That's yeah, right. in, a, in a long time. It was a lovely, lovely day. Because I was going to say the last time we had you on was Sunmoth Canteen, um, but then we did it to show Dave. I don't think you were at that one. Mm. No, I don't think I was. I don't think Dave was there. Um, and the that, the side street at Carwin and the sunshine there is just one of the most pleasant things in a sunny day. So mm. yeah, it really is. Mm. Um, and what are you drinking, Topher? Oh, I've gone deep. Um, I've gone deep in Emilia Romagna. I love Lambrusca. Like, it is just a revelation to me. I can't drink Australian sparkling Shiraz. It does not get me at all. But traditionally fermented, you know, funky, fizzy Italian red wine, just like not the sweet stuff. I mean, you got to know where you're going. Like, go to Black Arts and Sparrows and say, I want real Lambrusca. And there's 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 two importers bringing in really good stuff into Australia. Quelvino, who's who's um who's Melbourne based, so this is this is one of his producers. And the bottle's downstairs, so I can't go grab it. But it's dry, it's tannic, it's like rich and 
oh, fuck. I mean, I'm just maybe I'm just a fiend for carbonation, to be honest. But I love it. So I'm, and I also realized I didn't have any. I have no beer in my house whatsoever. Like, there's literally, literally not one drop of fermented barley. Not even your own house. beer. No, I don't. I don't really bring it at home. Not, not that. Not that like I don't drink it. It's just that I just. I leave it at, like, it, it's at work. I, we have a, I've got a cool room at, at the brewery and, like, a section of it is set aside for cellaring. This sounds a little bit ridiculous, but there's, like, two zones inside the cool room and one of them is that, like, wine cellar fermentation space. And that's where the wine and, and like, all the beer that I want to keep as a museum is sitting. And um, I just, I also find it a bit healthier to leave things there. And that way, if I'm going to bring a bottle home, I need to, think about it ahead of time rather than having things on hand. Um, yeah. Last year would have seen a lot of people imbibing a bit too much, well, no, a bit more than they would have normally at home, but that's fine because we were at home, not more. So like, you know, it's, it's relative, but um, I don't, I don't often bring any alcohol home unless I've pre like, unless I thought of it. And, and a, a friend was over for dinner before, um, and we were drinking this fine, so it just carries carries across. Yeah. What was uh, what was for dinner? Um, well, I made I roasted a whole pig this weekend for my wife's birthday. So we were out. We were this had a lovely weekend. Dave, you were at a wedding. I had a lovely weekend out at a at a small property, and we did a whole pig over coals, and it was delicious. Um, but there was heaps of leftovers. So um, I made just a big, big, big salad, and then we had, um, you know, potato buns and uh, pulled. Essentially, I mean, essentially pulled pork, but put on this big leftovers, fried up again in its own fat, which is like my favorite thing to do is taking like rendering animal fat and then just throwing that back in the skillet for heating things back up. And oh my god, I mean, it's so bad. I don't know if it is that bad for you to be honest. Anyway, it's probably not the healthiest thing, but it, it's so good getting that real crispy pulled pork thing and that, yeah, just different sauces. Um, so pretty simple, just pulled pork, sambos, and salad. Firstly, happy birthday to your wife. Yeah, what thank a, you. What a good yeah. thing I saw on one social media, uh, maybe your Instagram or something, the, mm. the, por- the pig, uh, yeah. and the, the, the big side of crackling had fallen off. Oh, uh, yeah. And it looked uh, glassy as I've ever seen crackling look. It was good. Yeah, I, I, I'd cut it off at that stage because it was just like, I mean, it was time to get into it. And the way it cooks, like it kind of separates. Just, I mean, if there's any vegans or vegetarians listening, I probably should stop because it's a bit gruesome. Sorry, sorry, James um, from Crafty Pint. Yeah, <laughs> and and um, to be fair, a lot of our other friends that listen. But yeah, yeah, and like I so th- this was a this was a pig from from Feather and Bone, who are uh, real leaders in in um, provenance when it comes to to animal welfare and husbandry. So I don't mean, like just to be super woke. Like that's who we only get our, our our animals from. And if it wasn't for that, then I probably wouldn't. Like I couldn't bring myself to eat or purchase supermarket meat, and that's a real price of privilege that allows me to say that. I recognize that, but just to be clear, so James is listening. Like this was a happy animal um, that was that was allowed to live its best life um, before it was taken for my enjoyment. 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah, it split off and it was delicious. It was so <laughs> I really love it. I really love it. It, it looked, yeah, it looked stunning. Uh, mm, thank you. Now I am drinking. Um, it's called Brightside Sangiovese. Yeah. I'm holding it up to the camera for the people at home watching through YouTube. Uh, what is what is this? I I'm not, I know you sent a press release all about this, Topher. Um, I, one thing about me, I, I barely read press releases, and if I oh, do, come on, not even mine. I, I I read through it quickly, and then all the information falls out of my head. Uh, but I remember thinking that's a really good sentiment uh, about what what this what, what this beer is. I almost said wine, um, and I know, I know there's. I mean, I can pick it up in the aroma, but I know there's smoke tainted grapes involved. Yeah. Uh, so can you sort of give us a, a rundown of, of what this is? Oh, you know, I'm not known for being brief, so I'll just <laughs> caveat. We don't have any time, um, it's fine. Okay, great. Um, so, I mean, firstly, that's probably the first and only and last press release that I'll ever send you. Um, so I'm a little gutted that you didn't read it. Um, no, I, I, to, to, to be fair, I was probably hamming it up a bit. I, I definitely, because I, I think I, I went back to you with some questions, but yeah. You did, you did. No, <laughs> um, no and this is probably the, just one of the first things that I've done as a brewer that I really feel like kind of comfortable spreading the word about. It doesn't feel so, I, I, I feel really uh, like, taking a step back from the product itself, like what you're drinking, the beer. I don't know. It's a really weird place to be in, I suppose, sometimes to to want to share the story about something without the added understanding, which the market, like people, customers take, which is like, oh, you just, you, you, you're trying to sell something. And this was one of the first things that I've done in the first projects and something that I felt like really comfortable about and, 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 willing to and keen to share the story. And that's the important part outside of the, the beer itself, like outside of the product. Like, and so I think that's why, that's why I did this and that's why I suppose we're here. And that's probably one of the, why it's probably the first time I've ever really like been direct about, Hey, we did this thing and I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm, I think this story has like, I don't know, shares, uh, there's 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 things in this that I'd I'd like to share with other people. So thank you for sharing your platform in all the time in order for me to talk about this. But um, that's why I did it in the first place. So anyway, the story I guess goes that um, so Brightside is I suppose a side label for us. Um, it's a it's a collaborative project with uh, friends of ours. Um, and a winery uh, called Ravensworth. And our friends are Brian and Jocelyn Martin um, of Ravensworth Wines. Ravensworth is an incredibly respected brand in the wine world. Um, Brian earned his stripes as the head winemaker at Clonakilla for, for many, many, many years. And throughout his time at Clonakilla, started his, his own brand called Ravensworth, um, I mean, this is going back more than more than a decade that he's had Ravensworth as well. Um, but through that through that um, time of having his own brand and 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 the um, as well as working at Conicilla, he he's they have their own farm, their own estate, which is around the corner from Conicilla. So 
Murrumbateman is where we are. We're about 40 minutes north of Canberra, very close to Yass. If anyone's doing the drive from Sydney to Melbourne, you'd, you'd know that strip of, of, of um, highway. Um, very cool climate um, and uh, very delicious and beautiful wines made in the area. One of the great, in my opinion, one of the great wine regions of this country. Um, that really has yet, to, I mean, outside of Clonicula, really has yet to be um, seen. Anyway, I'm digressing so much. I'll get back to the story, I promise. Brian and Brian and Jocelyn are dear friends of ours, and they farm on their on their property in this sort of super organic way. Um, in that, becoming certified organic for them is is very much a, a tick of the box. It's not it's not an achievement in itself. They're the way that they farm um, is so much more focused on soil, um, so much more focused on um, health of the entire uh, ecosystem surrounding their their vines. Um, and for someone like me, and I don't, I don't make this very quiet, but um, those are the kinds of things that I think about and push me um, as a producer um, a, a outside of trying to make uh, really high quality, world world class beer, which is what we try to do. Try to do every day, but really think about like what it is that goes into that. So, this is Brian Brian Jocelyn. Brian's a food writer. He was a food writer. He's a really excellent chef, and he's an excellent fermenter. And um, in late 2019, um, Brian and I actually it was early 2020. Brian was dropping his kids at Langway Festival. He's also this also this man that's kind of just that almost that generational gap between myself and my parents you know his kids are 10 15 years younger than me um and is one of the i don't know lots of people have these people in their lives that are kind of just that in between generation that you can kind of i suppose i've always i've thought about him for the four years that i've known him as a sort of mentor in in the industry because his head's He's very, he's very level and, and, and um, he's very considerate and, and very thoughtful. But anyway, he's also an excellent fermenter. So if I, you know, if I ever get olives and I'm like, hey, he's the person I text and go, hey, Brian, what do I do with olives? Because he knows what to do with them and how to cure them and, you know, that or, you know, any kind of, any kind of Japanese food, food cooking technique he's, he's, he's aware of. Anyway, Brian and I were at dinner together um, in early 2020. And he um, shared with me that he had just got his results back that day from um, the AWRI, so the Australian Wine Research Institute, which is based in South Australia. Um, the AWRI was running at that time for a lot of winemakers these smoke taint analysis. So what those were, were or what these are, are lab results that um, say to a producer, um, if you harvest and pick so if you harvest these grapes and make wine from them these are the potential levels of aromatic compounds that have to do with smoke taint um with smoke in and of itself so these are the aromatic this is the level of you know um compounds that smell like cigarettes this is the compound that smells like um ash this is the compound so they literally give you milligrams per kilogram of of those aromatic compounds in the fermentation. Um, and you need to send off for testing because 
the, they sent whole fruit. So Brian would have sent whole fruit to the AWRI, so whole grapes, and they crush them and ferment them. And only through the fermentation do these compounds become released. And then through like, I don't know, some technical high-end machine that they can like measure those results. I don't actually know how that part works, but you get numbers. And Brian's numbers were, I mean, not not even a this figure of speech. Like they were literally off the charts. The 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 measurement units were were so fine tuned to lower to lower grades of um, smoke tank that um, the the machines weren't able. They just all they could do all they would know was that it's it's literally off the charts. So the so the readings show um, higher than higher than um, measurable. So it's it's literally uh, you have so much smoke taint that we can't even measure it for you. And so smoke taint for a wine maker, and the reason that the AWR was doing all of these is um, smoke taint for a winemaker is is harvest ending. Um, if you if you make a wine using smoke tainted grapes and grapes that were sometimes as low as five times less than the levels that that, that Brian was seeing, um, you will get uh, severe um, smoke characters coming through the wine. And those range from that ashtray um, to just straight up charred, kind of blackened, bitter flavors. And for a wine, I mean, that just absolutely rips out the center of the fruit. It doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't make an enjoyable product as a hundred percent grape fermented product. Right. And so, um, Brian decided we were at dinner and he said, look, this, these are what, these are my numbers. And I, I'd already known this was going to be a thing. I mean, we were all in Australia in late 2019, 2020, we were aware of, <laughs> you couldn't not be aware of the fires, especially in major, like a lot of people, a lot of us in major cities that are quite separated from it still had, massive amounts of smoke com- coming into the cities. Um, and Murren Bateman didn't actually have a, a close fire at all. Like their closest fire was quite, quite a ways away. And the conventional wisdom on smoke taint in wine was that you needed a, a close fire after Veraison. So Veraison when the grapes move from green to, to red or, or to clearish yellow, if they're going to be a white grape um, in order for smoke taint to arise. But what was seen through the Australian 2019, 2020 bushfires and subsequent harvest in 2020 is that the, the, the knowledge on, on, on smoke taint in wine has completely shifted in there being an understanding now that, that long exposure of smoke, um, even from very distant fires can, can, can tank grapes. So Brian and I were having dinner told me his results and right then and there I like as a friend for as many years and as a producer that I respected and as someone who's sympathetic to the I guess the the human energy but even more so the the natural energy that it's required to make that fruit like the rainfall the the nutrients from the soil um the the sunshine, right? All of these things that were given to those vines in order for them to, to make grapes, a grape bunch. Um, I just then and there thought, well, we can't throw this out. Like this can't be a null harvest just because of this. Like that's too, 
that's wasteful. And I am, I am a hater of waste. I'm super thrifty making things from, from every, I, I actually think the brewery is becoming like a bit of a, like wildflowers becoming like a bit of a, like a, like a disposal unit for other producers byproducts at some stage. Cause it's getting to that point where I'm just using other people's waste to make things, but that's another story. Um, and I kind of love that, but anyway, um, so Bryce said to Brian, you know, how, how many, right. Well, how much beer do you want to make? And he was like, well, he, he thought, Oh, I was going to ask you if you were maybe keen on making some beer. And I was like, nah, we're doing the entire, the entire vineyard. Like all of your grapes are going to this project now. And so we pulled off the menu, grabbed a pen from the Somme and just started writing. I just started writing down, okay, how many tons of this fruit do you expect? How many tons of this grape do you expect? How many tons of this grape do you expect? And so this was sort of probably like mid Jan, um, mid Jan, 2020. And by the 12th of March, we were, we picked the entire vineyard um, at Ravensworth um, for Brightside this project that we're now releasing. Um, and so the, the, the project is uh, something that we did that we've decided to, to do for a number of reasons. One of them being the conservation of that, of that labor of the land in order to produce that and not wanting myself, not wanting that to be a waste, you know, um, not wanting the energy inputs into that fruit to be for not. Um, secondly, you know, definitely a part of it. This is a this is a fifty fifty relationship between myself and and Ravensworth, or Wildflower Ravensworth. Um, there there isn't a huge amount of beer. Um, it's 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 more than a normal release for us. Which, um, but um, this is a way for me as a mate of Brian's to try to help him recover a portion of the cost of of the, the harvest. He still had to pick all the grapes because um, you can't just leave the grapes on the vineyard or, or on the vines or the, the disease will come into the vineyard um, and uh, the birds will come in more and more each year. So you had to pick them anyway. Um, and uh, this is, I guess, this any like profits from this, which will, will, I mean, not trying to be humble here, but just trying to be realistic, there won't be many. But what we, what we can give back to Brian should cover the cost of the farming of the fruit. At least it, it, it won't, it won't get close to the cost, sorry, the, the potential value of that fruit had it been made into wine. Um, but that was another aspect in terms of helping him. Um, and, and, and thirdly, like, well, there's, there's lots of different reasons, but another reason we wanted to do it, if we're doing this and while we're releasing them is to kind of challenge this aspect of what is valuable and what is waste. Um, why is it that one industry looks at something like this, the wine industry, and says it no longer is a product that can be value added? And I know if, because of my time in regional areas and because of my time, which isn't super long, but because of my, my small understanding of, of farming, I mean, that, that's a real question that a lot of agricultural, like in, you know, um, primary industry people think about themselves as like, what, how is my product being how is much input being translated downstream and becoming more profitable? And are those things that I could do in-house in order to 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 maintain either um, get make a better price for the customer or or um, you know get that get that extra profit and grow their business in some way? For example, how, why would a wheat farmer just sell all of their wheat to to a miller 
and the miller do oven milling potentially is is there an option for a wheat farmer to value add and mill their own flour like the like the family at rootstock as uh, sorry woodstock sorry woodstock um who sells a lot of flour into into melbourne um and and are good friends of ours so that this idea of value adding in terms of wine farming or grape farming the value adding is making wine um and selling the wine f- for more than the grapes cost right and so this idea of into the industry like is there a potential for value adding to this fruit um that is seen as a as complete waste um because this isn't going to stop like um as much as i'd love for um you know the entire world to be carbon neutral by 2022 um it's not going to happen um i should hope that we can get to to more um i don't know uh aggressive climate goals than than some of the things that we're talking about at the moment but the extreme weather events that we're seeing are are probably not going to go away in the short term so we probably need to be a little bit more clever about how we think about the 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 products of these weather events and 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 make something of them um and lastly i mean there's 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 completely so many more reasons as to why we're doing this and what it is that you're drinking in your glass um but um but i i i um i really uh i really also from a brewing perspective i realized this was probably the first and only time that me as a brewer could walk into a vineyard and make every shot for in terms of in terms of picking dates how i want things to be made the varietals that i want to use brian has on his property um uh, a vast number of varietals that that i'm really interested in and i really saw it as an opportunity to expand my knowledge as a producer in terms of knowing like what's best you know what really works well like which grapes do we like and what handling of them do we do we prefer i mean it was this like huge acceleration like for me of of what i was able to play around with i mean i will never get the chance unless all of this the fruit is spontaneous to walk in walk onto a vineyard a property that i don't own grapes that i never farmed and say this is how i want it to be done for rest for my own purposes and for your purposes so i saw that as a kind of as an exciting aspect as a producer but also potentially as a as a bit of a, a burden is the wrong word but as a bit of a a duty to do it at, and even if the beer if the beer turned out shite i was just going to dump it and just go well at least i know that's the upper limit right and at least i can say that to someone else in the future is say look here are my numbers before going into this this is how i treated the ferment and this was the result you know from my from my olfactory from the way that i tasted it wasn't if it wasn't good i could at least say it wasn't good and it's not worth your time to go down that road anymore no one had that data point for me and so i was able to take at least for the bright side five varietals at different variety at different levels of smoke tank because every varietal maintains the smoke and kind of takes it in in different ways um and make these beers and get them tested as once they're fermented and look at like as beers look at the testing on that like post production but more importantly look at the flavors in them and you know not funny but oddly enough and i guess sort of verify like i don't know my idea of doing that was somewhat validated very quickly unfortunately in the US when 
six months later, you know, California, Oregon um, was also on fire with wildfires. And you mean Napa Valley burnt, like Napa's never burnt. Um, these vineyards that were fruit is going for like 20,000 US dollars per ton, no joke. Um, these vineyards were entirely smoke tainted. Um, and I had friends messaging and calling me from, from the US saying, Topher, like, what should we do with this stuff? You know, should we, can we, our friends are looking at a null harvest. Can we use their grapes in order to make something? And um, yeah, I just felt like, okay, well, shit, I'm glad I did this. Even if the result is, is crap, I, I, don't, I don't think the result's crap. That's not me trying to sell it. I actually think there's, there's value in what's in your glass, Luke. But um, that was, I mean, another part. So I don't know. How long has that been? When did you ask me that question? Um, <laughs> sorry. We're not, we're not taking in your time. Glass. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I guess to, to that, there was a question from the chat from our good friend Judd uh, before, I, before we go too far. But yeah. the, the smoke's an interesting aspect because it's certainly underlying. And my, my initial thought kind of almost – um, subconscious is oh that's a there's a, a, a fault in there because you know smoky or band aid can be a, a fault in these kinds of beers and once it kind of opened up in the glass and kind of I, I kind of got familiar with it um, it becomes more of a sort of a top note of uh, almost tobacco or uh, leathery kind of a smoke I think I get mm. um, which I think is really integrated and now I'm kind of almost through the bottle uh i mean i've still got a big chunk of my glass but the acidity of the beer is actually coming through a mm. lot more um you know looks gorgeous is, is a beautiful head retention in there as well uh you know this isn't the cleanest glass uh and it's still you know sticking around it's yeah in terms of a product that's well made and, and enjoyable to drink uh you know the fact that i'm probably halfway through and still picking up new things is you know that's that's kind of what we love about beer or these kinds of beers at least anyway. Hmm. Oh, thank you. And I, I, we, I mean, that was a real, like, you know, I skipped the whole making part and we can talk about that in terms of, you know, what happened from March 12th from picking the grapes until what's in your glass. But it's kind of, it's almost beside the point in, in some aspect and, and in others it's not, but, but um, I, I'm really, I'm really, Smoke, smoke isn't, well, I mean, one of the other backgrounds as to why I was like, well, let's do this is because we make foggy morning and that's a hundred percent smoke malt beer and people love that. So why, why am I worried about smoke in beer? I mean, I love rock beer. Like, like what, why smoke was, is at home in this beverage in a it's, much way, in a in a similar way that Britannomyces is. It's a jarring thing with fruit, I think, at times. Mm. Um, thinking about, speaking of Judd in the comments, I'm... I'm yeah, make, we should actually ask the question, hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, actually, before we go, I'm, I'm actually making a hot sauce for, for Judd uh, when he comes down uh, uh, nice. with some Carolina Reapers that I've someone's giving me, and I'm going to smoke some of them mm. before I make the hot sauce. And it's one of the few recipes that I don't actually add fruit in. Hmm. Uh, but now after drinking this, I'm like, well, maybe there's a, maybe there is some sort of fruit in there I can add into the ferment uh, along with the smoke, uh, just to just to make it even weirder, a smoked Carolina Reaper hot sauce for for Judd. Well, it, like it, it, um, it's interesting because like, like the Riesling doesn't show it at all. Like you 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 wouldn't 
if if the power of suggestion puts it into your mind, then you'll find it. But you can do that with anything. It, it it's actually not present in in the in the Riesling beer, the smoke at all. Um, for 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 all of our palates, I mean, most people have tasted it and said that. Um, but in, in in the gamut it is, and yet that's been the preferred beer for a number of people that I've showed the whole flight to, uh, you know. Um, but the main part for me is that they don't, it's not because of the way that it's fermented in the beer and because of the dilution rate and because of the fruit and other aspects of the beer, it's not the whole story. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if, if, you're, if you're going into these beers looking for Foggy Morning, you'll be disappointed. You know, if you're going, look, if you're looking for Action Keller, you'll be disappointed. Like it's, it's not they, it's not in that level. It's actually, I, I would hope, I guess, and everyone's palate's gonna, gonna perceive this differently. But um, just like all of our beers, like we want these to be nuanced, like kind of things. And then you kind of keep going back. And I'm not surprised you haven't finished bottle because, or you've almost finished bottle because that's the way that we've drank these beers at a brewery as well. So I'm like, oh shit, that's really interesting. Another glass, another glass. Oh, mm. finish the bottle. <laughs> like, you can keep searching for things, and they keep popping up. And then it's like, whoa, uh, here we go. Anyway, it's it's the kind of beer you could you could see out a, an entire menu mm. of a dinner very easily um, mm, from, from main to dessert, yeah. and and find just yeah a, a, a pairings and interesting things the whole time. Dave, I've got question a couple from of um, oh sorry. Well, Judd's question was um. Did you lean into the smoke characteristic with the smoked malt or did you try and play off the flavor? We didn't use smoked malts in the grist. Um, so we, we did a bit of both. So if we were trying to devoid the drink of any smoke impact, we would have handled the fruit differently. And by that, I mean, we probably would have allowed it to spend less time on skins, but because of how we make beer and because of how I've 2020 was on my 2021 was my fifth. So this year is my fifth harvest using wine grapes in beer. And because of, well, I guess 2020 would have been my fourth. And because of our experience using wine grapes in beer, the, the brief as it, as it, as it was, and as it still is now, I prefer time on skins as a, way to bring out varietal character in the beer from the fruit. So varietal being Gamay, Shiraz, Riesling, whatever it is. And so I had a discussion with Brian, the winemaker in Vigneron, that look, I wanna I wanna carbonically macerate this fruit. So I want the fruit to start its own fermentation on its skins before we add beer. Um because I wanted that microbiology from vineyard to be present in the in the beers and that's how we that's how we treat all of our wine grape beers and in fact that's how we treat pretty much every fruit ferment now is allowing the fruit to start its own fermentation before we before we blend in beer um but that making that decision from the quality of a beer that 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 was made from the quality of the beer perspective rather than the mitigate smoke perspective if we wanted to uh, if we wanted to eliminate smoke we wouldn't have done that we 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 would have put beer onto whole fruit straight out of the vineyard um without allowing it to start its fermentation and we probably would have wouldn't have left the beer on skins for seven plus months as we did for these 
Now, I've got a couple of um, Smoke Tank 101 questions that I yeah. wonder if you could answer for me. What's the um, responsibility of the growers when there's a chance that there's going to be Smoke Tank um, present? Is that something that they lead um, the conversation on or is it a, like a requirement once a certain conditions met? Uh, what do you mean by grower? Do you mean like if you were a winemaker but didn't but didn't grow your own grapes? Or no, well, whoever's producing the grapes, I'm assuming they're they're responsible for um, doing the homework to see if there's going to be smoke taint. Um, yeah, but, I mean because it hits whole. Re- it's an interesting question because it almost kind of it's fascinating. Can you? Because is there any indicator before it gets tested? I mean, not just the knowing that there's been bushfires around or that your neighbors got theirs tested and it was it was pretty bad or whatever whatever it was. Um, it wouldn't have been that bad or whatever. To, to make a wine with smoke tank is a huge risk. Yeah. Huge. Um, because it not only is it present in that wine that you make, it leaches into the barrels if you put it to oak. Um, and it can have other detrimental effects in your cellar carried on. So producers wouldn't make one if they didn't have to. Yeah. And like, I only know of one, I know there were a couple more, but I know like, and, um, Megan James Becker in the Hunter Valley made a, made a wine called burnt, um, that they, they, used smoke tainted Shiraz to make wine and just said to the grower, and that is, I guess this is what maybe you're getting to, the grower was coming to them saying, like, I really, I can't not have the funds from this fruit. Um, I know it's smoke tainted because everyone in the region was smoke tainted. Um, but c- can you try to make something from it? And and Megan James just said, well, sure, but like I can't pay you until we sell it, if that's okay. And they're like, yep, that's fine. Um, and much to their surprise, they sold all of it quite quickly, actually, um, at, at their cellar door in the Hunter Valley. Um, it's interesting because that question kind of comes as a product of like this understanding that a grower and a winemaker are kind of separate entities, but then also that there's not, and um, this isn't from a, um, don't take this mean like, anyway, like in the brewing industry, we have barley growers, maltsters, brewers, hop growers. These are all independent people. Um, and I suppose uh, I'm trying to say the wine industry is much more connected, but if, if grape growers aren't generally growing grapes for heaps of different people, it's not nearly as broad as, you know, uh, the, the customer list of a Barrett burst and, you know, going into, heaps of different breweries it's much tighter and then because of the sheer locality and regionality of the, the, the product itself there's no getting away from it so once you know that there's smoke tank in the region and that's evident just because there's fires in the area then the grower wouldn't be able to hide from it and then certainly the fermented product you can't mistake it once it's in there um I'm, I, it's an interesting question because it'd be interesting to know if like there was like a, you know, a proviso that someone sold fruit to someone else. And under that contract, they said, if the fermented drink has under X, Y, Z levels of smoke taint, then 
we will pay you this rate or if it's over it's a different rate that's a, I, that's really interesting i'm not sure um because i mean there is a lower limit for sure and some of these some of these compounds exist in fruit that hasn't been near a bushfire at all so there is a lower limit on what smoke taint is um does that get to the end so I, i'm not sure is probably the the most honest answer but at the same time i don't think that that would be a there's no dancing around the issue from a grower's perspective like it's it's not it it's not as vague it, we're getting back to the, there's not a lot of there's not a huge amount of vagueness like is it the, it's it's tainted or it's not is it is it yeah. kind of part of it where if it if a region is smoke tainted everyone in the industry knows if yeah. they're getting their grapes from that area yeah that it is um Whereas, you know, somewhat of an unscrupulous seller or, or winemaker might kind of know or might just put it out into the market. Much, I guess, like beer mm. can happen with, you know, faulty beer ends up in shelves all the time. Um, and I guess what's the, what's, what's the responsibility of the brewer to kind of not put that into market? Uh, mm. is, that, is that part of it, Dave? Yeah, I just wondered, wondered like... If there's a obviously there's a um, a massive financial impact, and if there is the spectrum of uh, impact on the fruit, and a, and a producer is willing to take a punt on what the product might be transparently, then like, is there like a protocol that they need to have hmm. um, with whatever the body is? The other question I had is, um, question. do you know if the uh, if the smoke tank has any future impacts, barring any future bushfires, mm. um, on the on the vines in future harvests? Um, they actually bounce back from fire pretty well, like a lot of, like a lot of plants. Um, yeah, there was a grower in Tumbaramba who, like, literally their vineyard burned, and the same thing happened in the Adelaide Hills. Um, so fire was coming underneath the vines, and canopy was lost, and some of the rootstock was lost as well. And they'll, so some of that will burn down and completely die. But rootstock, if it's just been like devoid of foliage and, you know, all the buds and the fruits, so it went through a fire, but maybe it wasn't a super hot fire or it was just kind of a quickly passing one, um, they'll reshoot. Um, so I like to, you, you, you chainsaw them at the top of where they're, I mean, every, vine, every pruning system would have their own way of dealing with it after that. But um, you certainly, I guess, I guess the answer is that that depends on the intensity of the fire. Um, but like just smoke taint from distant vines? No, yeah. nothing. No, not nothing. Really. No, it's soaked into the fruit. And that's the frustrating thing is that you can't see it. The fruit, when we picked it at Ravensworth for this beer, was perfect. I mean, it was a dry year, so it was quite small. The, 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 um, the yield was quite low, you know, in, in relative terms to other years. But you can't like, it's not like the fruit looked burnt. It hadn't been like charred. I mean, there was no, there was no fire near that. And it's uh, hops, hops don't get smoke tainted. They don't, that, 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 that agricultural product hop doesn't pull in smoke taint like grapes do. And I mean, it's a real blessing, I suppose, for the, for the hop industry, like it's quite lucky for them. Um, but if it had, we would, we would, be hearing about it if they did i mean think about northern victoria and the the proximity it had to some fires so 
yeah, the HPA farm up there, like it would have been massive for the industry. Like imagine that. I mean, that's what it was for the wild wine industry, I guess, but huge impacts. Um, but no, Brian's fruit this year, Brian's grapes this year, Brian's vines rather, um, didn't have, there's no residual impact in the next harvest. Um, for Yeah, yeah, it's quite cool. Um, one more question from uh, Judd. Do you mm. think, Topher, there's a greater market for smoke-tainted wines than the producers seem to believe? That's, oof, again, we're operating in speculation, um, which is never healthy. Um, the only, I would say both yes and no. Yes, in the sense that um, we as beer drinkers and beer um, enthusiasts, not only ourselves have quite, I like to say, promiscuous ballots, but we know that many of our friends in the industry do, and they, there are dozens of beers made in the Australian and wider world that I would never touch with a 10-foot pole as a drinker. Um, but they find their own markets, and who am I to say that that's wrong? And I do think that there is – this is – I'm speaking personally. This has nothing to do with Brian. So if anyone from the wine world is going to listen to this, this is purely my personal view. Um, I I think that there probably – there's a lot of restrictions in the wine world, and there is a certain pandering to the way things have been done and then the way that the way that they should be done, whatever should means. And releasing a smoke knowingly releasing a smoke tainted wine would be heavily frowned upon in the industry. Um, it has been done and it you know James and Mag Becker and the Hunter, as I was saying, did it recently. Um, they very much controlled the flow of that, where it went, made sure people weren't selling it, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I agree with Jad in the sense that, yeah, I mean, I, there probably is. There really probably is. And, and it just requires a bit of lateral thinking from the industry to accept that that might be a, a reality in the future. At the same time, I've, I've drank smoked tainted wine and I myself would not be a part of the populace that's purchasing those wines. Um, it's, it's, it's not a flavor that in wine, it's not a flavor that I enjoy. I'd also it's, imagine um, that like there'd be for the people that think that they would, they'd be adventurous enough to check it out. It might not go beyond checking it out. True. Yeah. But, but then, but then, but then, I mean, whiskey, charcuterie, like cheeses, like, why in so many other fermented drinks? Like, I mean, there is really an argument to be made for it. Like that, that why can't, I mean, some people do like, and that, that's what James was saying. Or Landry was like, people kept, he's like, I should have made more. The, the, this is the, 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 the winemaker in the Hunter Valley. He's like, people really enjoyed it. And why am I the arbiter of what they enjoy or not? Because I don't enjoy it as a, you know, he's a producer. He's like, this isn't what I would choose, but, is it my job to only to, to tell people what they should drink and what they should enjoy? Like, don't know. I've um I've had smoke tainted wine at very low levels, but I enjoyed it. This was years ago. I don't know if my palate would still enjoy it, but maybe I enjoyed it for the difference. And, and thinking of that story of the the mm. burnt wine, you know, that release has a story attached to it, it as a control to it. Uh, if it's 
every product is that, then suddenly that becomes a, a problem. Whereas, you know, and I guess thinking about, you know, cheese or whiskey, the control of the smoke or the flavors developed in the smoke have been developed for years or, or centuries. Whereas in wine, you know, the, the develop or control of those flavors probably isn't ever thought of. Mm. Uh, so you're not making wine with that in mind. And then when it comes out, you're, you know, it tastes terrible. You're not uh, knowingly lighting fires, you know, yeah, during yeah, harvest, you know, and c- controlling the level and finding the nuanced access of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's so many unknowns in that, that, yeah. um, you know, if you're starting a, a, you know, if you think of it, if someone's starting a new fermented beverage category, mm. uh, you know, 20 years ago, people st- starting to do, or even five years ago, people started to do like kettle sours, in sort of modern methods or 10 years ago were, were all sorts of off flavors. Now mm-hmm. we're kind of getting, getting a handle on what modern kettle souring is and, and how it can, you know, improve and make better results. So yeah, I think maybe, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting because all of us um, would be interested to try any wine that a winemaker says has got smoke taint, but I'm really happy with it mm. um, any day of the week. Mm. Uh, and I think that's probably true of a lot of the market, but the story might need to always be part of it, mm. or we work out how to manage it. Yeah, I say we like I, I know I'm part of the wine industry. All of a sudden, how the wine industry? <laughs> well, I mean, no, but like, like I, I don't feel like I'm a part of the. I mean, we're not, none of us are part of the wine industry, but I think it's like it's something that they're going to have to deal with, and I think it's something that's like much like climate change. It's going to it's going to take a lot of different opinions and, and results and sorry, um, solutions. So like, will there be put winemakers knowingly making smoke tainted wine in the future when their grapes are tainted? I would say affirmatively, yes, that's going to be a thing. Like I, I and that's not because like, I'm just playing the law of averages here. <laughs> like <laughs> that's, that's not me like having some insight. It's just, it's going to happen. Hmm because they're not going to be able to not make wine and, and, and not do it. But do I also think that there's a broader sense of broader range of things to be done with this fruit that might be undesirable to have in the cellar for years to come? Yeah, I do. I do. And I mean, and that's part of the, just the teasing this out is, is like, I mean, the, the whole project is not, is not meant to be, you know, just throwing things at the wind and going, well, we'll see what the fuck happens. Um, it really is just like this kind of, I needed to go through that myself to go like, is this something that's viable? Like, is this, can we do this? Can we make this? And okay. And now, I mean, uh, I guess from a, from a sales perspective, I shouldn't say that the release of this beer and then the, 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 um, I shouldn't say that the the acceptance of it or non-acceptance of it is, is in and itself uh, a test, you know, it's its own kind of level, but, but like, I probably shouldn't, I'm also not going to, to, to lie about that. Like it, I'm fascinated to know how people find these beers. Like I, like, and I think, I think there's the competition that I had, there's a lot of people that are really interested to know. And it's, it's, it's not because they're like horrendously smoky. It has nothing to do with that. It's actually more the, can you knowingly sit something with the story that they have? Mermaiden was the hardest hit region in all of the 2019, sorry, in the 2020 harvest, the level with the highest smoke paint levels in, in wine in Australia. So, can you take the worst of the worst and turn it into a black swan? Like, let's just, let's have a look. So 
I mean, it's it's knowingly giving you something that from one side of our brains we should say this isn't this isn't worthwhile, but then you have to kind of you kind of have to sit with yourself and say, okay, can I put my perceptions aside and and view this product as it is and as it presents in the glass rather than what I bring to it. I mean, that's what we call it the bright side, right? <laughs> like, like, and it says on the label, like share our optimism. Like this isn't, we didn't want, to, it says at the start, it says, um, I can't remember what it says, Luke. Yeah, I, I, I've lost your video this whole time, Luke. So I've just oh, been no, talking you, to Dave this whole I, time. I've been nodding um, along, don't worry. Oh, great. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it says, uh, I think it says like, well, well, we didn't expect to be here, but, but, but here we are. Like this isn't something that I hope to look forward to do with Brian next year. Like, like I hope we don't have to do this again. Um, but if we did, and there's a roadmap, um, and then it kind of goes through the project a little bit, but then and it's just share optimism. You know, like can you? I think it's I, I I think it's more of a question. I'm I'm intrigued not because of the how people will receive the product, like in terms of the product itself. It's actually more how people will receive the product. How do you how do you swallow the story and then receive what comes in it because i i mean I, I as a producer and as a beer drinker i i stand by it i love them i really do i really do and that's not me trying to say please but go out and buy beer <laughs> like i wouldn't have released it if i didn't think they were valid and and, and valuable in and of itself the question um, is can, can you swallow it yeah so give us some We've we've done the the story. Can we get some raw numbers? Uh, what what beers are available? How yep. widely? Um, what's yep. the, how do people get these? Yep. So five beers. So um, I'll go in volume that we have them. Bright side. So all of the beers have the same label, um, and the only differentiating factor is well, obviously the ABV on the side, um, but on the front it will show you it'll tell you the grape that it's made with. So bright side, Gamay, Shiraz, whatever. So Gamay and Shiraz are about similar volumes and they're sitting about 270 cases each. So that's a lot. It's big. It's big for us. Um, it's a lot of beer, mm. especially for mixed culture, wild ferment, <laughs> mixed culture, uh, barrel-aged beers made with smoke-tainted fruit. It's a lot. I mean, it was like when, when Brian said, uh, I said, you know, how much beer do you want to make? And he said, let's do it all. I was like, oh, shit, all right. And then even in that uh, single aspect, I was like, well, I owe it to my mate to do this. But also I was like, fuck, this better, better work out. Um, but so so those are those are the biggest, um, Shiraz and Gamay. And then Riesling is sitting just over half that, about 170 cases. And then the um, the Sengio, the one that you're drinking, and the Viognier are the smallest. And they're like about 60, 65 cases, really small. Um so the Sangio and the Viognier will be available through, sorry, all five will be available through the brewery, like our website. Um, in Melbourne, and I think quite nationally, the most, the most prominent retailer will surely be Black Arts and Sparrows. Um, they, they have all of them as well, um, the whole range, because they're, they're huge supporters of, of Brian's. And this has been another interesting process from a producer aspect is, is, figuring out where the where these beers should go and 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 who like which accounts and and kind of um customers are really passionate about the story and the, and the value of the of the fruit and the agricultural process behind that so anyway black arts will definitely have a lot um pnv um 
in Sydney, um, we'll have the whole range. Any of the places that we're going to the whole, we're going to on our national road show, which WA should not, please don't F this up for us. Um, but I'll talk about the road show in a minute if we want, but, um, the whole, the whole range will be available from a select number of retailers, a small amount. Um, but we've just received, like we just sent out our pre-release emails today and um, I've been looking at the emails coming through um, and the the top three, I mean, the Shiraz, the Shiraz, Chikeme and the Riesling will be available at most of our normal wholesale customers as well as some of the wholesale stockists that that, that Brian sells to. Um, and I've set up a separate page on the website Um that's pretty prominent when you land on the wildflowerbeer.com website about where which, uh, that about Brightside and then that page has a list of stockists. So as we get orders, we'll update that. And then um, by May 7th, which is a release, so we're still just just over a week and a bit away from the release, those accounts will those those stockists um, will have that stock, so it'll be a national release, which I've only done once before. But I really wanted this this one to be kind of um, be, because we're talking about the beer and I'm sharing the story. Like I want people to know where they can get it instead of just being like, "Oh yeah, it's all vanished." You know, it's you could you can't buy it. Um, that's not the point at all. Um, but those are the those are the rough volumes, if that makes sense. Um, mm. And. Um, we have tasting notes on all of them on our website. Um, Mike Benny was really, really kind. He's a prominent wine writer, um, really kind, and, and wrote tasting notes for them as well on his wine rub website, The Wine Front, um, which was fascinating in and of itself. And that he, he's obviously a very good friend, and we do have a beer together that shouldn't be left unsaid. And this fact that he doesn't profit from this the bright side stuff at all, but we do have a project together, Mike and I, um, that, that, that he is a part in. Um, but he, he posted those web, those tasting notes on his very much wine dominant and wine centric website. Um, which, which was really, really cool for, for me as a beer producer. But also I think when you, when you zoom out on the project and kind of, I guess, uh, consider, I guess the, not the impact, but the statement, I guess that I wasn't trying to make, but I think that will kind of be unintentionally made by, by making something from these smoked tender graves. Um, so Mike's taking that very seriously and he has really amazing tasting notes on all of them on, on, on his website as well, the wine front. So, um, those were, those were all there. Um, yeah, a, a long winded answer <laughs> again. <laughs> Um, that's right I, I want to move on to a couple more things before we wrap up sure. Dave any other questions from the chat about the smoke taint beers um, one from Lonnie Topher do you think that tasting products maybe smoke tainted fruit might be a call to action for wine or beer drinkers tasting products for, I mean well it's a call to action now I mean you can go out and go buy the blood price on beers I mean I, I, I mean I can't lie that it's I said, knowing Brian's prominence in the wine industry, so Brian is hugely respected. Brian's one of these people that pours his wine at Rootstock, RIP, the, the Natural Wine Festival, as well as having his wines, you know, get very high marks on holiday. 
and not many producers can 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 span that arc in terms of being regarded and well respected in both fronts and one of the reasons that i guess gave me an assurance i mean brian's a very close friend as i've already mentioned and i wanted to help him out but there was a small kind of had i done this with a producer that is a bit more on the edge or a bit more um there are dozens of friends that i would have liked to and i probably should have done this with um but had i done it with someone that was more funky or whatever um however the market views them there's a potential that people wouldn't consumer wouldn't take it with the gravity that we've undertaken the product with i mean this is this, while while it was a bit of a, a a toss in the dark we went about it in a way to make high quality product at the end of the day the fruit was beyond organically farmed it was picked when it was uh, when it was timed for it to be picked, like in terms of ripeness levels, we brewed our beer, fermented it with, like we brewed our beer with um, organic grains and it wasn't organic hops at that stage. Um, fermented like, we did all the right things in order to make this still a valid, like high quality product. And I think undertaking this project, Brian, part of that is is to be able to maybe in some way get people over the hump of, the perception and, and, and go ahead and jump in and, and, and taste it. Because if you know Brian's wine or if you can not like either of them or you can like them both, then hopefully that repertoire of what we've released in the past and more importantly, Brian, what he's released in the past, um, will, will help someone just get over the, the perception in their mind that might make them not do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, there's a there's an importance to do it because I it's devastating, man. I mean, it's it's I, 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 more and more our beer is becoming more agricultural, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too long down this road because I could go down it for a very long time. But I I, I just I I couldn't I can't I can't stand by as well as being a city city dweller. Like I felt so shit and empty watching the impacts of that of those bushfires for all of our friends that own breweries in regional areas, Sellers Grave, um, and, and many others, and Bright, and everyone whose who's tap rooms were completely closed. I mean, Mountain Culture had just opened, and they were really good friends of mine. And I was up and I was there for the opening in November, and I was back there a month later with TJ and Harriet, um, and the place was empty. I mean, this is December empty. I mean, the, the smoke was so heavy coming through the mountains. I was just sitting through the sitting in the city going like, I, I just couldn't sit on my hands anymore. Right. Like, like I just needed to do something like what, what can I do? Like I'm, I'm that kind of, that kind of person. And so from a customer perspective, yeah, like please, because maybe it's a part of, I mean, buying our beer, harvesting these grapes, for this small project and making these beers, we're not making a shift in the global impact of smoke tank, great, you know, or conservation. I mean, this isn't this isn't a huge thing. This is pretty small um, at the end of it. But maybe just shifting that perspective a little bit will help people get down the line a little bit more in terms of what is valuable, what's not, what's waste, and what's not. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think there is a need for people to do it in in time to come and make your own make your own um, judgment on it regardless of the 
regardless of the um regardless of what a critic says or not. So yeah. Um that's a really good answer. Thank you, Topher. Uh before we wrap up, I want to find out what is happening with Wildflower outside of this. Yeah. Being isolated for so long. Uh, I don't even know what's going on in Sydney. I don't I don't really know what's going on outside of my five Ks. Uh what's exciting exciting you at the moment in the world of Wildflower and, and where you know, what do the next twelve months look like for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we, I mean, since we've spoken, there's a lot has happened, but um, we hired and have kind of built a really nice little team. Um, so notably, like we hired um, someone who came out just to work with us for a couple of months, um, Chase, who was a head brewer at Arizona Wilderness, and he um, he came out in late February, 2020, um, just to do two months kind of stage and then, you know, COVID happened. So now he's, he's stayed, he's become our head brewer. And so he's really over the past year, it's helped me a lot in order to kind of focus on more creative projects and things that I'm more, fo- more interested in rather than, you know, the ordering raw materials and the, the actual, um, you know, making sure bottles and labels. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to like minimize his role in saying that's all he's doing, but there's a administrative burden that's been taken off my plate. And that's been really, really nice. Um, and I really think like the past year, it's really just allowed me to have a bit more perspective around what we do and, and how I am as a, as a dad and, and as a business owner, it's probably less things so business focused and more kind of like life goals that we've been able to kind of achieve, I suppose. Um, now, Going forward, I mean, there's heaps of things I'm always excited. Like you can, you can, the wind changes and I get excited about something. So it's not, it's not, not too, not too surprising. Um, but um, the spontaneous beer that we brewed up in Mountain Culture last year using our new cool ship is tasting really good in barrel. Like really, really buoyed by that. Like really excited about blending a couple of those this year and probably putting them in bottle and hopefully releasing them, I don't know, end of this year, early next year. Uh, so that's really exciting to see that. Um, Ryefield had a pretty good harvest this year. Um, obviously better than last year's. So it's not hard, um, but um, still probably not quite enough for us to, it definitely wasn't enough for us to be able to switch wholly to their hops, uh, unfortunately. So, and it's not from our production levels being crazy. It's just that the, 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 the 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 vines weren't at the maturity levels that they thought they would be at. So um, while the harvesting equipment and everything like that worked really well for their New South Wales regeneratively grown organic hops, um, it's not something we'll be able to switch to entirely over this year. Um, but it's really, we'll be able to use them more in our recipes and that'll be exciting. Um, and that is exciting for me. We've done a lot of great beers this year, like a lot and a lot using skins and, and, and second use fruit. Um, second use has been like after their main use. And those are, those are looking really good. Um, we are streamlining our, uh, lives and getting rid of 375 mil bottles, which is like not a big thing from like a lot of, 
a lot of perspectives, but I'm, I'm really excited about bottling, you know, St. Thomas in a few months, our cherry beer, because um, we won't have to deal with 375s and they're just a pain in the ass to deal with. And we're just going all 750s and some people will be upset about that. I know a lot of retailers were, will, will, will be because the price point drops up, but I'm just, I'm just making a, a me decision and going, I just need, I want one box in my life. I want one bottle in my life. Um, I don't need all of this variety. Um, so um, and I, I, in speaking to a couple people about it, I think that's, that's been well received, you know, just in terms of a 375 ml bottle just seems to, to, um, to empty itself a lot, a lot sooner than me. Oh yeah, then let me go. I should probably go to bed soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty lame thing to be excited about, but I am excited about it. Um, and um, what else? I mean, oh, I don't know. I'm excited for this roadshow. I'm excited about lots of things. I really, really, I like. I think I really. I, at the end of the day, the things that were probably focusing on the most and I'm spending a lot of time and effort considering is is the 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 origin of our materials still and the way that they're farmed and how that how that impacts what we do in in, in the brewery so um yeah I hope to just continue on that path so if more more of the same is the uh, is the answer to that question <laughs> that's pretty exciting well as um <laughs> As interesting and uh, complex and delicate as all your wild beers are, I still love picking up a can of table beer whenever I go to Carbon uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, we, 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 I'm, I'm so glad I got over my mental, my mental um, uh, block to putting that beer in the can. Um, because I, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, if there's a beer that's coming home, with me it's that one for sure um and and it's been it's been awesome to see i was so anxious about it you know like letting your little kid out into the world i thought people would just balk at a two point something percent you know like when you're in the brewery you can explain it to them and where it comes from and all this kind of stuff um so people enjoyed it but i, I really thought that when it got out into the world people would just be like this is this is garbage like i want more bang for my buck um, and that's complete opposite's happened. Like, what a surprise! Like, genuine surprise. Like, and I'm so excited by it because if there's one beer that I'd love for our brewery to be known by, it's that one. Like, genuinely, like, I, I love it. Like, I mean, I'm sure I don't have a very typical um, purchasing patterns, but I'm sure it's not uh, unique. But like, if I'm buying a mixed six or something like that, then I'm looking for something like that as a staple part of it every time so it's good mm. to have it's good to have those kind of beers available by your favorite producers mm. oh thanks dave i'm glad we could fill that gap and i mean the side benefit that it actually it's our first certified organic beer we became certified as a as a producer we only use that certification on that beer because that's the only one that uses the organic hops um uh but we would hope that, I mean, like I hope that in three or four years I'll be able to, to apply that certification across all of our beers and not because it's some sales technique, but just to, in order to, to put our money where our mouth is and say, look, we're open to be audited. Um, we're open to, to that. And whether or not a consumer wants that is yet to be seen. I'm not actually sure. Um, uh, we did a uh, anyway, separate thing. Um, I, I would hope that more and more brewers 
will see the value in nourishing ingredients um, and well-farmed ones. Um, but uh, yeah, that, again, that has yet to be seen. But that was a that was a really both of those things. I mean, releasing the beer in cans was one part, but also being able to carry the sort of the, the certification and say this is I don't know. I suppose like yeah, just put money in your mouth and go. This is I really value this, and I value it on our cheapest beer. Yeah, it's a marketable <laughs> uh, expression of your values. Which is a good yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we probably need to wrap up. Uh, I actually have an early start in the morning, so I, I, no, no, don't apologise at all. It's um, it's the, the one time I've actually got an early flight in the morning. Are you coming to uh, Sydney? No, uh, heading up to uh, Early Beach. Early oh, Beach, is that how you say it? To visit an agave farm. Oh, cool! Is yep. it the one? Is it the one that James Becker got grapes? Got the agave for? Possibly. For I don't. Yeah. I, I know nothing about it. Um, I think there's only one in Australia, so that must be the one. So um, this, this guy that made the burnt thing, he made tequila from it last year. It okay. won. It, it won in the top ten in drink easies. Anyway. Okay. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll find out. Um, yeah. do, do you have anything? So you're doing the road show. Where do people find out information about that? Information's on the website. Wildfire beer, something or other. Bright side. Just go to the website and it hits it. Road show. Yeah, we're going to Sydney, Graham, Sydney, Canberra, Griffith. Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth, Launceston. This is Brian and I traveling together, talking about sharing the beers, getting that story out there, I suppose. I mean, really, it kind of came about from the two of us just wanting to get on the bloody flight and see mates, um, which we'll do across all things. So mates, come along, please. Um, but, but you know, there's this – I also love it, Mona. They have that – they have a kind of – eat the problem kind of this idea of like oh eat the pest you know these things are and i don't like the characterization that smoked in the grapes are a problem you know like that that they're that they're a, that they're a fault as it were in the first place um but why don't we make like this the idea from the two of us was like well let's just have a bit of a party i suppose around us and all the events are pretty pretty relaxed no sit down dinners in that you know just to come along and have a taste and um have a yarn Awesome. Uh, I'm hoping we get to catch up while you're in Melbourne. Yes, please. Um, Did you get two gifts from it to go? No, I, I, I'm in Good Beer Week planning. I haven't thought Shit. outside of anything. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't know. We'll hopefully cross paths. It might paths. be sold out. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. Anyway, I, no, we will cross paths. We'll cross paths. Dave, where do people get you? Uh, send me an email, davidalovertime.com. How about you, Luke? Luke at alovertime.com. Um if you see any Good Beer Week ads in your Facebook feed, please give them a like and a comment. Uh, it will help my algorithms immensely. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well do. Well do. Uh, thanks to everyone that, that joined us in the feed and to patrons. Um, we're just waiting on the links to arrive uh, to, for everyone to order their beer. Uh, but if you're really keen to get it and you really or you can't order from the shop, just send me an email and, and start the conversation. Uh, uh, yeah, th- and uh, I recommend doing that because it's really, really good. The, the beer is, is stunning, and Tofa, yeah. when you're in I town, can't wait. Yeah, yeah, you'll be getting a bottle as a as a patron as well. Thank you so much for, as always, for doing that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much to everyone that joined us, and yeah, we'll uh, see you all next week. Ciao.